When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Patriots Ravens. I don't care what year it is. I don't care what week it is. I don't care what the weather is. I don't care what the records are, the coaches, the quarterbacks. They could play on the moon. Okay. Doesn't matter. These games, if you've been following the Patriots at all, you know, deliver. Patriots won last time the Ravens came here to Foxborough 23 to 17. It was a monsoon. They were home underdogs. It was the worst Patriots season in recent memory. Didn't matter. They went toe-to-toe with the Ravens and beat them the year before. Lamar Jackson, first season as a starter. Patriots are 8-0. Go down to Baltimore Sunday night. Boom. Patriots get punched in the mouth and lose by three scores. You don't know what's going to happen, but it is always going to be entertaining. And so this game on Sunday, which is, I think, yeah, this is the Patriots' first home game since before the pandemic started. It's been a while. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. And so I get to break this game down with Christian Fourier from WEI, Karen Grigi and my colleague over at the Boston Herald. We get into a lot of Pats Ravens, not as much kind of X's and O's talk like we've done the past two weeks, because we also take time to honor Vince Wilfork, who will be honored Saturday, 4 p.m. in the plaza outside Gillette Stadium where the Patriots Hall of Fame is. He's going to give a speech. He's going to put on a red jacket. Baby, he's going into the Patriots Hall of Fame. This, of course, was a given as soon as Vince retired. He is, in my opinion, one of the most underrated Patriots of all time, partly because of his position. And even as a fan favorite, like Vince got in first ballot. You don't see this a whole lot. It's like Teddy Bruschi, Ty Law, maybe a couple of others. But Vince was beloved, and yet I still don't think appreciated for all that he did for those defenses from 04 to 14, where he bookends his career with Super Bowls. But when you think about both of those games, you don't really think about Vince, who was a rookie, and then a starter in the middle of that defense. But, you know, you had main characters there that kind of came to the forefront in each of those years. Well, Vince is kind of in the back playing base. So because of the lack of Super Bowl impact as it lives in our memory, Vince kind of fades in the back. But at least Saturday and then Sunday at halftime, when he'll come out and do another speech with the whole crowd, he will be honored. And Vince is a guy who's inspired a lot of great stories behind the scenes. We got a couple out of Christian who was teammates with him in 04 and 05. Karen, who's covered basically the entirety of Vince's career starting in 07 when she moved to the Patriots beat um, until he left for Houston. They, like Vince, delivered. So stick around for some Vince Wilfork stories. No mailbag this week. I asked a little bit too late here on Thursday morning when I'm recording this now, uh, but we'll get to it after the Ravens game on Sunday. Probably record midday monday actually we'll do the same schedule monday night into tuesday 
a lot of film, a lot of review, a lot of notes. So if you have any questions now that are still topical or haven't expired, um, just ask me and we'll get to it then. Okay, no more time wasted. Let's get to Christian and Karen on Vince and Patriots Ravens. Let's roll. Christian Fourier from WEEI, the afternoon drive show, Merloni, Fourier, and Mego, all friends of the pod. Welcome back. Second time. How you doing? No, what's up, man? How you doing? Good. It's Ravens week. Patriots have a win. The sky is not falling. I feel like it's hovering <laughs> above us like it normally does, like it's a regular uh, midweek, which is good. Um, and we're going to get to the Ravens in a little bit in addition to some other stuff with you. But I wanted to start here because your perspective on a new offense going in is very valuable, I think, because you did this a couple of times as far as I could see going back through your history. And I wanted to get your thoughts, what you think about the offense first. But when you had new offenses installed in your career, how long did it take for them to take and kind of you knew your identity or strengths going into the season? Um, well, let's say so. Um, yeah, you're right. Um, sometimes right away. Other times it never worked at all. <laughs> so, um, you know, when Dennis Erickson came in, new coach out of college to be the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks, you know, it took us a while because he was implementing a college offense into the pros. So, I mean, I, I think the pro quarterbacks really never really took a hold of it. And the offense never really, we never really figured it out, I think, until year three, mm. um, year four. And by that, and then he got fired with Holmgren. I remember when Holmgren came in, um, they had such a good understanding of what that offense was supposed to look like. And he took all his coaches. So all his coaches had a good understanding of how to teach it and how to explain it. And I thought that was so much more valuable than what I, what I had uh, the first time with, with, uh, um, with uh, Dennis Erickson. And then even fast forwarding to when I played for the Washington commanders back then was the Redskins, Redskins, obviously they were implementing a new offense, brand new offense from an outside offensive coordinator, Al Saunders, who would coach the chiefs. And it just a very, it was a very complicated offense. That was the hardest offense I ever had to learn um, because they had so many motions, so many shifts. And he was teaching Joe Gibbs and his offensive staff. So they, they were learning it. So they couldn't teach it. It was, it was really was a circus. It got so bad that Joe Gibbs eventually just said, we're not running it anymore. He just said, we're not running. The players wow. bitched and complained. Nobody liked it. It was too complicated. There were so many shifts, so many motions. Nobody liked it. So Gibbs eventually just took it over, and Al Saunders was eventually fired at the end of the year. Like, it was – it just didn't work. Like, flat out didn't work. I, I would say in, in, in closing to this question, if you don't have the position coaches to teach the offense that the offensive coordinator is trying to implement, then it's not going to work. Like, if the, if the position coaches, line coaches, tight ends, wide receivers, backs, if they don't know what the offense coordinator wants, it's going to take forever or it may not work at all. Okay, a lot of interesting stuff you said. And it's funny you mentioned the Saunders thing because I even remember being a teenager watching those Chiefs offenses. And there must have been some TV graphic where they held up a playbook and people on YouTube can see me. It was like four inches thick. Is that the playbook you were dealing with with Saunders who had come yeah. from KC to Washington? Yeah, it was, it was, it was, there was so much study. So for my position, for the, for the Y slash H slash F, you had a motion or a shift on every single play. Like <laughs> every single play had a motion or a shift attached to it. 
before you even ran the play. So you were moving and motioning, and at the same time, you're trying to figure out what the hell you're supposed to do. Um, the backs like had like uh, had uh, had like one thing to do. The wide receivers did barely did anything. It was a freaking nightmare. Like I tell you, it was such a nightmare. Um, and that to this day is the hardest offense I had to learn. There was the Patriots' offense is freaking easy, dude. Like it's easy <laughs> when it comes to motions and shifts. Like it, it was so easy compared to that offense. Um, I've never seen a revolt, an offensive revolt like it did when I played for for them. When I played for Joe Gibbs and Al Saunders, they just they would not commit to all the motions and the shifts. They didn't want to do it. They just hmm. flat out Clinton Portis. I remember like, why are we doing all these shifts and motions and like. He, no, nobody liked it. I I need to resist asking you all about that because that fascinates me in a lot of levels. But there's actually okay. a tie in here because book. we yeah, <laughs> there hasn't been a revolt yet. There's not one coming. I'm not hinting at one, but the idea of taking out parts of the offense and focusing on something different is something that we've already covered this season in New England through two weeks. Kendrick Bourne told us after the Steelers game, yeah, there's been a lot of stuff we scrapped now. What you're talking about is a wholesale system change, which is really interesting for Joe Gibbs' team. When Joe Gibbs majored in, we're going to have four complementary plays, and not even Belichick and the Giants in the 80s can solve them when we go on to win Super Bowls. But when you hear Kendrick Bourne saying that, we're already scrapping these, is that a good thing because you're adapting and you just need to find what works and don't waste any more time? Or do you say that's not enough time to know whether you're good at those things or not? I, I think it's like – I don't think this is anything out of the ordinary. Okay. So – I just, I think this happens um, with every team. You have, um, you know, an idea of what you want to do, offenses that you want to run. And then you just realize either the scheme doesn't work, you don't have the players to do it, or just, you know, you're just not ready. So instead of like, I think a, a big part of the NFL is time management. And you only have a certain amount of time. The coaches only have a certain amount of time. So if a play doesn't work, like by Friday, if a play doesn't work, you throw it out. It is like you've had like three days of reps to see if it will work. The stupid coach runs it anyways. Even if you didn't even because I can sit there and I can easily manipulate a play to work if I want to. I will tell the scout team guy, say, listen, make sure you play inside, make it look good and I'll get it called. I'll get it in the play sheet like I've done that before, you know, and then in the game time, the, the guy, it doesn't even work as much. So I don't think that's anything new. I think it's smart coaching. I think it's what you should do instead of like shoehorning a play that we all know doesn't work. So I don't think it's any big deal. And I don't necessarily think it's a, it's not Al Saunders coming in and playing his offense. It's like the foundation is already there. Mm -hmm. What I feel like, and maybe you know more is that they've just kind of, you know, like Joe Judge is taking some things, Matt's taking some things, and then maybe they've kind of said, listen, based on our personnel, this would be good for us. Right. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it, I'm hesitant to say they've totally scrapped some of the stuff that we saw initially going back to OTAs, non-padded, you're talking early May, and I'm telling you on your show, seeing a lot of stretch, seeing a lot of boots, and you're like, no, there's no way. And you know what? No has been the answer to these two weeks because you just don't see it. I mean, A, they're not running any play action. When they do, it's not moving pocket stuff, which you think would come against blitz teams. And that's the area where I think you might have scrapped some. And I think they wanted to introduce that as part of the foundation or kind of integrate it. But, I mean, those were not good in May. They were not good in June. They were not good in July. And I think that's why you don't see him here in September. But I also want to give it two more weeks because, again, these, these are 17-game seasons now, 18-week seasons. Yeah. 
long, long. And, and um, even with um, like the boots and the nakeds, um, you know, there's been so much debate about stretch run, zone run. What does it look like? Complimentary plays, boots and nakeds and, you know, submarine plays and all stuff, other stuff. You know, my thing with that is, first of all, I don't, everybody has a different, I guess, definition of, of what those are. But I do feel like there is a, I feel like you can run a boot or a naked under any circumstances, man, zone, it doesn't matter. Like I, I, that personally, like, you know, I know Bill was talking about, you know, but a whole like, whole like dissertation on like play action versus zone play action versus, you know, blitz. And I mean, I've run it under all circumstances and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, you know, <laughs> sometimes it works no matter when you call it against in any situation. Um, but I guess there is a, you know, there's probably some data that shows when it's beneficial and when it isn't. Um, but again, um, I've ran it. We would call it and run it no matter what, just because, you know, we have the quarterback that can handle it. Um, and it was a call it and run it play. It wasn't a, Hey, let's, it wasn't a check with me. You know, it, we were running it no matter what, like there was always an option. There was always, Hey, if the crossing routes are taking, okay, we have this guy. If the, if the slam release is taken, okay, we got this guy, you know, or the quarterback would just run, you know, it was never, it was never a negative play. And then I, with the Patriots, we never ran boots and nakeds ever, no, ever. It was never, I think, I think I caught the last naked that we actually ran. That was back in like 2002 or something like that. Other than that, I've never seen them running, not even a boot stop. Like where they act like they're going wide and then they stop. They, they don't even run that. I just love some of these sentences out of context. Like we get so into the football speak and someone who has nothing to do with football here is like, I caught the last naked. Like, is this a naked person? Is this <laughs> someone catching you in the nude? Just, I was the last one. Like what, what kind of situation? And then you don't want to ask too many questions given, you know, perhaps the actual yeah, scenario. But weird. Yeah. A little weird. Um, going back to the Patriots for a second, because the opening question obviously was about, you know, your experience with offenses taking hold. When might the Patriots do the same? I see a very bland system here. Like the initial things we heard streamlined, simplified about the offense. That's been this offense. Again, not a lot of play action. I think we've seen maybe three total RPOs. Running game is look similar to what we've always seen. I think they're going to build off of this. What do you like? What do you not like about the offense through two weeks? Well, there's some beauty in the simplicity if you're an old school traditionalist, but I just don't feel like that's, that's the way to go in today's offense, right? Like the days of running student body right and student body left, I think are over because the competition is way too equal. I actually, when I think about the offense, why it's so, I don't know, elementary is I do go back to the guys who are calling the plays. Like every offensive, like every offense I've been with, for the most part, the guy that's running the offense has had a database of 15 years running the offense. Mm -hmm. So they've, they've seen everything multiple times. They're comfortable with it. They're not, you know, they can anticipate it. They, you know, they can, they have, they have so many different, you know, variations of it. You know, you have a group, you know, that is, they're not offensive coordinators by trade. Like they, you know, it's, it's like, they don't have a history of calling plays. So I do think, also, there could be some apprehension by the play callers. I'm comfortable doing this. I don't want to put myself in a, in a shitty situation. I'm gonna, this is my safe zone. I would want to call this. I want to call that. 
but I, you know, geez, I'm not, I'm not there yet. I think it's, it's just as much of the, the, uh, the novice level of uh, offensive coordinator and play callers as it is. Let's just be risk averse. I, uh, it's interesting you say that in a couple of fronts, because I think the, the point about the coaches are only going to call what they're comfortable with is a great one because this offense was built in part within the limitations, not of the players, which has to be the starting point, but of the coaches. Cause you can only coach and teach what you know. And Joe Judge and Matt Patricia know a lot about football. Uh, not a whole lot, though, about coaching offensive football. So you're not installing all of these crazy, you know, four-inch-thick four Al Saunders playbooks because if they had to write their own, as they have, it's just not going to be that big. But I think the other part about motion is a good one because they're, they're not trying to put too much on the player's plate, understanding you're going to build this offense as the season goes, and they're dead last right now, according to ESPN, that plays with motion at the snap. It's under 5%. Which yeah relative to everyone else again dead last you can't you cannot get any lower but that sounds probably historically to you when i say four percent of your plays have motion at the snap that sounds crazy just to add to that andrew you're not dealing with rookie offensive players they're all vets they've all been in the league forever they can handle it they're not stupid none of them are dumb so even the second year guys max a smart guy it's the first thing we said about him i I know but but like this idea that we're not going to run motions and shifts because uh, they can't handle it. No, they can handle it. I guarantee you, Jacoby Myers, Kendrick Bourne, Hunter Henry, Damian Harris, uh, John U. Smith, Nelson, Ag- you think this is the first time they, they oh, I'm just going to line up and play? Okay. Like, to me, and that's why I lean more towards the people who are running the offense. I, you can't sit here and tell me that these guys can't handle it and they can't run it. And I, I believe that Matt can handle it and he can run it. So why wouldn't you do it? I have no, no clue. No clue. No clue. So what do you want to see more of? I mean, let, let's assume motion is a yes. Let's bump that at least to like six, 7%, you know, overall in their plays. Like what else do you want to see more out of this offense? Is it RPOs? Is it play action? Is it, you know, more of the gun, which was like all we saw in Pittsburgh. I mean, I don't need to see this crazy, you know, you know, RPO, look at, we're doing things. We're, you know, groundbreaking type offense. I don't need to see that. That doesn't like blow my skirt up. Like I, it doesn't like, that doesn't make mean you're better than the other guy, but I do think you're, you know, when I see like, I've watched a lot of college football lately. I'm obviously a lot of pro and the creativity of how guys get open, right. Plays that are set up with a complimentary play in mind, like, how I know the defense is doing this. I'm going to create this play to get this guy the ball. He's wide open. Oh, look at the tight end. Has the, have the tight ends caught one seam pass yet? Like nothing up the middle, like zero. Like, you know, can we get an all go? Can we get, you know, like any, like, so I just feel like they're just really in level one. As far as I feel like they have all these players that I think are more above average. I think Hunter Henry is an above average tight end. I think John o. Smith can be pending what he does. I think Kendrick Bourne is a good wide receiver. So these guys can all handle the next level of play calling and they can make plays for you other than just a, a go with and go up and get it. Like, I don't know. It just feels like there's, they're, they're not taking advantage of the skill set that they have. I, I think that would be like my simplest way. Like you have playmakers find ways to get them the ball. It all can't just be hook route, go route, 
naked. I mean, that's stuff you put in the playbook like day one. Yeah, it's a lot of slant flat, like backside digs, which are fine, or some deep crossers, which we've seen. But you're seeing like crossers from everybody now because that's usually what pairs with the play action that they're not running to get in that second level. And it's like 80 to 90% of their pass plays have that kind of staple, which intermediate routes are good. But I, you know, they're also, like you're saying, not terribly creative. No, I don't think they're creative at all. Yeah. At all. Like there's just, and again, it's been two games. Maybe they're, you know, trying to get, and it's not like it's been, I would also say it's the, it's like, if everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing, it allows you to dig deeper into your playbook. Like, you know, if you're, you know, if you're like second and nine, you know, third and eight, you know, and you know, you start with a negative play, it does kind of like, you know, screw up your play calling. Like that last series of the, of the game last week against the Steelers. I mean, other than a couple plays, you were positive yardage on every single play, run whatever you want. It's all going to work now. You got them on the run, you know? Um, So we'll see. Yeah, it's funny. We had a good conversation, I mean, off air about that, that whole series, like small tweaks they're making. There are good parts of the coaching. I don't want people to hear this conversation and be like, oh, more bashing of the offense. I mean, first of all, they're averaging, what is it now, 12, 12 points per game. It's only been two weeks. Let's go back to where we started and then move on. Um, we'll know what this offense definitively is. Is it 11 personnel? Is it 12 personnel? Is it play action? Is it outside zone running? By midseason, week seven, eight, can can give us like a, a rough range based on your experience? And what you think now and how the, where the league is, it, sh- it should be whatever it needs to be. Like that's like, I have never, with this, with this organization, it was, you had a couple staple runs, but you ran a personnel and a scheme that was, that was, that, that was, that benefited you the most based on who you were playing against. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I remember like, I don't even know what year it was, what Super Bowl it was, but I remember Dan Graham and I were like involved in almost like everything. And then uh, we get to the Super Bowl and like they, we do it like that Wednesday install and we're not in any of the first two pages of the freaking plays. We're like, we're not even involved this week. We're like, what the hell? Like it was a lot of five wides and we just, and like the and day one install was like first and second down. That's when we had our most, most of our opportunities. We weren't involved. And I was like, damn, all right, but what are you going to do? So, I mean, and that's how quickly it changed. So are they going to be outside zone run? Are they going to be this? Like, I don't know. Like, listen, can we run power this week? This They run the defense. We can run power. Hey, our tight end can block the front side. This guy's not as good as the guy last week. You know, like, I, that's why I always, like, when we would get our run install, like, the personnel groupings and the run selections were all based on who we were playing this week. Like, if we were playing Miami, it was a certain type of play. And I was like, all right, we're going to run counter out of sub. All right, good. I'm front side. I, okay, I'm really good at this block. Okay, next week, all right, we're going to run wham because the, the you know, and, and I don't want to be the wham guy because the defense tackle is 350 pounds. Hopefully, I'm not the F, you know, but like those are the plays. It was, it was literally was like we had like, you know, basic staple uh, uh, of plays, but it was always different. It was always like, all right, what's going to be this week? There was no like, we're not a zone. This is not. If you shoehorn yourself into a specific type of offense, like we're calling the Shanahan offense, like I just think you're just, you're just limiting yourself of what you're capable of doing. Yeah. No, I mean, if you have an identity and you establish it, I remember Brian Hoyer telling me this my first year in the beat is, you know, he's a scout team quarterback, which for me was a goldmine in terms of 
okay, how'd you prepare? What was it like simulating Aaron Rodgers and Ben Roethlisberger and all the guys they ran through and that 18 Super Bowl run? He's like, if you have an identity, defense knows that they can take it away. So I think the Shanahan stuff, at least judging on these two games, it was was way overblown. And it's a media messaging part. But I think that that's that's the best point of all. This offense, if it's successful week to week, forget how they're doing it. Just look at the results. Like we can skip to the end of that and we'll know whether they're doing that by midseason, which will also coincide with a good stretch against the Lions, Browns, Jets, Colts and Jets again. So if you're also just not beating those teams offensively or defensively, like you're kind of in trouble in general in the league. Yeah. Yeah, this they should be able to run anything they want. Um, they, they mean they don't have the, they don't have a traditional fullback, so you would think the power running game is not going to be their thing anymore. But uh, hell, just put the tight end back there. Yeah, yeah, there are a lot of ways to get to two back runs or concepts with one of the tight ends, even if he's not in the backfield, you know. But we we can save that for another pod, especially given your background. Um, I want to take five minutes on some Vince Wilfork stories. He's going to the Patriots Hall of Fame. Saturday, 4 p.m. It's open to everyone. It's free. He'll be honored at halftime of Sunday's game. But if you want to see him make a speech, crack some jokes, probably better weather than we'll have on Sunday, go down to Foxborough. You were with Vince his rookie year, 2004. Uh, your last year, his second season, 2005. First thing that comes to mind when I mention Vince Wolfork as a young guy in the Patriots locker room is what? Well, I would say, like, there's some guys that just, you know, <laughs> well, I, I could probably tell a story about the rookie dinner. But uh, let's do that. Come on. All I know is that, listen, you weren't taking advantage of Vince. I'll put it that way. Like the rookie dinner, he was a great rookie. Not that, you know, that matters to most people, but I think Vince just understood, um, you know, what was expected of him. You know, he fit right in right away. Um, Everybody liked him. You know, uh, he had a great personality. He was a hard ass worker. So there was never, I don't have a negative thing to say about him. Honest to God, great family, great dad. Um, you know, he was just a great, like, football player. He was, he was, could not have been a better draft class between him, with him and Ben. But I do remember, like, we used to have these um, rookie dinners. And the year before Vince, you know, somebody always taking advantage of the situation. Guys were, like, ordering too much food. Guys were, like, uh, you know, like, ordering, like, bottles, like, you know, $500 bottles of wine. It was just acting like dicks, you know. And I remember uh, when Vince and Ben, I remember, like, everyone was like, oh, this is going to be great. We got two first-rounders. We're going to get whatever we want. And I just remember, uh, I think it was at, I can't remember where, Abe and Louis maybe. I can't remember where it was. Uh, they set this got this whole, they did a really good job. They, they, they reserved this whole room and guys try to, to pull that shit where they like, you know, get, like sneaking bottles, you know, high price bottles out and like opening it, not even drinking it, just wasting it. I remember he just wasn't having any of it. I'll just put it that way. He wasn't well, having he, any The dude's it. 330 pounds, but he's he also rookie in a league of 300 pound guys. Like what did, what did Vince do? Having any of it. I remember like, man, there's Vince, 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 around like do not like trying like do not try and do this shit to Vince Vince ain't having it and I'll just leave it at that I'll leave it at that it was a great time we had a great time but when they when some guys tried to pull off some you know dirty you know cheap stuff like he just wasn't having it all right I'm gonna you, you don't have to say any words but you can nod for the people who are watching in YouTube and then judge by my reaction uh words were said by Vince at the at the dinner that stopped the teammates sometimes Sometimes you don't need words, Andrew. So a stare. Sometimes you just don't. Sometimes you don't need to say a word. Oh, me mug. 
I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Listen, we are leaving at that. It was a, it was an excellent night. Nobody was hurt. Okay. All right. Big Vince. Hey guys, just a quick break to remind you something you already know. Football is back. And Bet Online is still your number one source for all your NFL and college football betting needs this season. Find all the latest odds, news, and game matchups right up to the minute at betonline.ag. It is your continued source for all your wagering information, including live betting, free contests, and live scores. It is always the fastest and always the easiest way to bet on your favorite sports, even beyond football. Look to the MLB playoffs, MMA, tennis, boxing, and even golf. Yes, they're still playing golf out there. So head online to betonline.ag. Join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. That's 50%, 5-0. Make sure to use the promo code CLNS50 to receive your rewards. Again, that's betonline.ag where the game starts. That, those seasons, it's funny. I think uh, Keith Trailer was your nose tackle. That Super Bowl run of 04, Vince played some. He gets to be the guy in 05. Were there any plays in practice? Like we talk about, the dude was 330 pounds. He could dunk the athleticism. Like how did he take to, you know, being a first rounder who might not have been featured in his defense? And then, the, you know, the second year when he makes that year two leap, we always talk about what was that like? Um, no, listen, I, I mean, I just now I'm thinking of all the Vince throws. I remember I talked about the wham play. So the wham play, obviously, the, the guard of the center slips the, the defensive tackle, influencing him, trying to get him to come up field. And then the, the, the tight end would, or the fullback would kind of sneak attack him and wham him and kind of log him so the back can come right inside. I think I remember, like, I, he knew I was going to wham block him. And it was funny because I had no business hitting Vince. And even with a running start, he did, I didn't move him at all. I think it was just a little bit of chuckle. And, it's, and I was, like, 35 at the time. I had no business doing that. Um, so he's, he's just like, laughing oh, in your God. face in practice. You, you, you can leave. You can leave now. Um, <laughs> can listen, can no, you do a Vince as... chuckle for us to see if like a deep soft or? Is oh, he you like... heard it. You know, it was almost like it was like, please, like, please. What, what are you doing? And I was like, I, dude, I don't call the plays. I just run them. Like I, I don't think it was. It was a poorly designed play with the wrong personnel grouping in there. You know, and, like one of those things. You know that scene in Rudy where. Like the they have, they force the guy that they force the tackle to run the play over like twice, and then they zoom in on the guy, and he kind of looks up and he sees that Rudy's the guy he's gonna kick out. Like that was Vince kind of looking at me, going, "Oh, okay, what are you doing? Like I know I know you're going to wham block me. I'm just gonna stand here." <laughs> I was two thirty. There's no way I was knocking him down. Two thirty. Yeah, back into your career. That's a uh, tough versus again six foot one, two three thirty could dunk and hold up two offensive linemen like. They're babies, one with each arm, and just kind of hold the ground. Yeah, he was good, man. Like he was, he was, he was good. He just, he was just a real, the right attitude for that position too, right? He just had the right demeanor. He had the right, like you know, uh, just personality. Uh, he was just like the, the the perfect fit for that position. Yeah, one of his best games, um, oddly enough, came against the Ravens, who the Patriots would be playing on Sunday when they honor him at halftime. AFC Championship game January 2012 after the 2011 season. Bill has brought this up. And this is funny, too, because that was even – I mean, it's not like the back nine of his career. You're talking like 15th, 16th hole, but like 10th or 11th for him, you know, back half of his career. Uh, when you look at the Ravens now, I feel like this is a team that much like we talk about the Steelers, tough, physical, same as when you saw them. Even I think you played them in 03. Um, you look at this game, Lamar Jackson is the big centerpiece. Is that the key, kind of just keeping him in 
you know, the pocket as best you can for them to get out with a win, which is actually going to be a home upset if they do pull it off? Well, I think with him, you know, he's so dangerous as a runner. And the complement to that is obviously the play-action pass. And I think you get so caught up in, you know, not playing man because you don't want to turn your back, you know, because if you turn your back, it's just going to bolt on you. You know, and the tight end is such a big weapon with them, uh, not only in the field, but in the red zone. Um, and he takes advantage of it. Um, but I think ultimately, like, I remember covering him in college. And I remember he was just taking advantage of every defense. And finally, he played against Florida State. And they had just as much speed as he had. And he couldn't run away like he used to. And he couldn't, all those like backdoor escape hatches like were like closed. And I remember just how he went from a calm, cool, collective player to a frantic panic player that was careless with the football. I think he still does the same thing. Mm. I think he still does the same thing. So when he's up against a well-coached team that takes away those options and limits the big playability, I think he struggles. I think he struggles. And I still think, like, people say, well, you know, third down, uh, you know, get him in third down obvious passing situations. Well, you do that with everyone. More importantly, you just have to be aware of, like, his ability to run and how even if you think you have an angle on him, you probably don't. No. I think that's the, the, the once you, Watching a guy on film like Lamar Jackson is one thing. Doing it in real time is another. Because you sit there and go, I got the angle on this guy. And he just went around right around me. So I think you just have to really kind of understand just what his true ability is and how dangerous he is as a player. Yeah. And I remember covering their first matchup against him in 19. And that was his MVP season. They go down to Baltimore, lose in Sunday night football. First loss of the season. That was like the start of Brady being actively miserable at every press conference thereafter, even though they were 8-0 going into that game. The response was what you just said. We've seen him on film. We didn't know we were dealing with until we stepped in the field. But also, they got gouged by Mark Ingram. Like, that power run game kept their base defense on the field. So when Lamar needed to get his, he got it. But otherwise, they couldn't contain, you know, the inside power stuff. And so that, I think, is going to be the interesting dynamic of, like, can you play sub? Can we play dime and keep speed on the field versus handle their inside running game with him? Because then they win here, the Patriots do, in 20 when Baltimore comes to visit. Lamar is 55 yards. Those are 249, two touchdowns, interception. They get a little help from Mother Nature. But otherwise, like, they did a good job on that. And it was because they had safeties playing outside linebacker for most of that game, hanging on the edges of the boxes. Yeah, and um, I just don't know. Um, I got to go back and look at the last time they played him because I feel like if, as long as if you're just sound defensively, like, I think the other thing is, like, he's going to get his plays. Does he have to yeah. get an 80-yard touchdown? Like, like Tyreek Hill, um, let's go. The Patriots played him. I think he had like, I don't know, seven or eight catches and 94 yards. But I didn't really think he did anything. Like, they didn't, he didn't kill the Patriots. The very next week, he literally destroys the Ravens. Like, every one of his plays were so impactful that you sat there and said, crap, why isn't anybody covering him? You know? So, I think that, see, I, this is where I think the Patriots have, like, the advantage I do think for the most part, they're sound. I do think for the most part, they're well coached. And if everyone just is disciplined, we'll, we'll have a chance. Like we'll have yeah. a chance. Now, obviously the offense has got to do their part, but I think defensively, 
I still think you have a chance. And I think the point that you just made about being fundamentally sound, like they've missed, let me think, it was three tackles last week, five or six the week before. You're through two weeks of an NFL season when everyone knows tackling scrappy in September. That's a really good sign. And you're not giving up big plays, two explosives in Pittsburgh, one of which was like a who cares before the half to George Pickens. And yeah. Gunnar Olszewski takes, you know, a jet sweep for 18 yards. Congrats. Clearly, they didn't, you know, get hurt much by that. Like, if you're keeping the lid on Baltimore, which is really going to come down to tackling, given their skill positions outside of Lamar aren't great. Like, it's going to be hard for Baltimore to win, I think. Even understanding their defense is almost built to stop an offense like the Patriots that just wants to run on you and as receivers that generally can't separate from man coverage. Yeah, and I also think that, you know, third week of the season is still kind of like a, it's like an interesting just ob- like observing like who these teams are because the Ravens, they, they may, they're, what makes them different than you as far as, well, you would say, well, they know who they are. Do they? Like, I know what type of offense they're going to run, but what type of mentality are they going to have? Like, um, uh, are they, have they battle tested? I mean, uh, uh, do they give up? Uh, I mean, uh, uh, does adversity kind of weaken them? And all these things are kind of attributes that, um, that aren't necessarily developed at this point in time in the year, which I think the Patriots with that, just, just with that over six minute running the clock, I think is so substantial. We've already done it. We know we can do it again. Like, I think that out of everything that happened last week, to me, that's the best thing I think I could, I could possibly see to make me feel good about it. Was there, is there often still kind of stuck in the mud? Hell, before that Aguilar touchdown, it was three to three. Yeah. And then he, Max throws it up and then he makes an unbelievable individual effort. And next thing you know, it's 10 to three. So I, I'm feeling optimistic about this weekend's game. Cool. Uh, any matchup besides the Lamar stuff? thinking about them that you want to touch on or cover. I can do two. We do only three matchups in the pod, two keys. We've already done a key and then one extra point. So do you have a matchup or do you want me to take two? Well, the matchup, I mean, the obvious one is just is the tight end Andrews. I mean, to me, that, that, I mean, I felt like even last week um, with uh, Fryermuth, like I felt like that was the tight end for the Steelers. I felt like um, uh, Mitch Trubisky, you know, he was just going to rely on the tight end a lot. And obviously Fryermuth didn't do a ton, but he ends up getting that touchdown, you know, which, and then they flexed him out. He does a quick little stutter step and they throw it to him. I think I still am curious about how they're going to handle those, those big impactful tight ends. Um, and you would think that, okay, is, is Duggar in, is he out? Is it Phillips? Like who's covering them? Um, I feel like they have the right guys, but so far, um, I'm not sure about that. That would be a matchup easily to watch. Okay, cool. I'll do the other two when I have Kangarigian on a little bit later. I think Andrews is a great one because you look at the Fryermuth matchup. Andrews is a little bit better, older, savvier. Phillips gave up the touchdown, but Kyle Duggar in two incompletions on, on third down was right in the area, like right in his hip pocket. And Duggar's had his struggles in man coverage. He even went back to training camp. He could do it. But Mark Andrews, there's a reason this dude is scoring like eight to 10 touchdowns a year. And it's not just because the Ravens evergreen statement lack for receiving talent so you know he's he's getting his over the middle even when you know it's kind of coming i think that'll take maybe a savvier bet anything um extra point something we haven't talked about about the ravens it could be totally relevant to the game it could just be something about them like any anything come to mind i'm, I'm a big harbaugh fan okay cool i'm a big harbaugh fan and um and i and it's funny when i think about uh 
God, after Bill, is Harbaugh next or is it Pete Carroll as far as longest tenured coaches? I think it might be Tomlin was Oh Tom it, Tomlin was seven, two thousand seven, and Harbaugh was oh eight. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that to me, I always think like, you know, longevity in the NFL is so rare. Um, and I do think it's I think it's interesting just and maybe this plays into the Patriots. Like most teams, like if you find a good coach, like they're gonna have bad years. Like Sean Payton had bad years, you know, Harbaugh's had bad years, Bill has never really had a bad year. Pete Carroll has had bad years. Tomlin has bad years. It's just interesting. I like the, the organizations that say, we know this guy's a really good coach. The team, uh, the roster is going to be turned over multiple times in like, two to three years. Um, but we're going to stick with our coach. We just know he's a good coach, as opposed to, you know, all the other teams that will literally recycle or, you know, start all over again multiple times. Like how grateful the Ravens can be that they just, they have one of the hardest positions to fill would be coach the next one is quarterback so Harbaugh we'll see what he does with his we'll see if we'll see what Tomlin's able to do with his um but ultimately I, that to me is, is just I don't know that always stands out to me that he's still around yeah and he the teams have there's like through lines right like they're tough they're hard-nosed they want yeah. to run the ball like and that speaks to identity that starts with the coach where the Patriots are going to be shapeshifters under Belichick year in and year out and with Harbaugh, like, you know what's coming. And I think that's a credit to him for setting that tone with locker rooms that turn over, you know, I mean, what, 25% of the roster, 20% yeah. of the roster is gone every single year to bring in new guys, imprint on them and have them carry out that same Ravens mission is really impressive. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thanks as always. Sunday should be fun and we'll definitely have you back. Do you got a winner? What we got? We got, see, after talking with you, I want to pick the Patriots to win. <sighs> I, the, the, this Ravens gonna, defense is a bad matchup, it. man. It's it's not like unless Marcus Peters is in a very giving mood, like he was with Tyree Kill. Yeah, you know this is a, a yellow light or even a green one. Just go right by me. Like I don't know how the Patriots are going to generate chunk plays unless we see a lot of new offense. So I I'm going to say close Ravens win, and they're even favored. I think uh, by three. I think that's what the opening line was. The Ravens are favored. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. See, and this is the problem with like last like uh, closing out a game the way the Patriots did winning a game like the last six minutes is like wow look how good they are yes like all the yes. problems are fixed it's like nah not really <laughs> you know, they almost have a false sense of security uh going into the next game <clears throat> and where the Ravens completely shit down their leg and they're they're not going to be coming in in a good mood right 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 and thanks to guys like Harbaugh who are going to be like this is not us this is inexcusable yeah. we need to go up there and kick some ass and like again it's still September so crazy things happen like the Bengals who are in the Super Bowl lose the first two games in offseason after they said we need to fix our offensive line 13 sacks later that team is 0-2 so as much as we think we know stuff in the league uh we know nothing so yeah. if it's within three I, I don't know like just 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 count me out but yeah for, for now Ravens yeah okay all right all right, Thanks, I'm going to go Ravens, too. How about that? Yeah, maybe we'll talk about it Friday in your show. I don't know if you have any guests. Yeah, we'll see you about go. that. All right, there you go. <laughs> Karen, hello. <laughs> Andrew, you know where I am? <laughs> Karen, are you in Boston? I am, Rob. Oh. <laughs> see, whenever I yeah. do that, and this is a callback to two years ago, we're on Zoom shortly before the Bucks and Chiefs play in the Super Bowl. You're about to speak with Rob Gronkowski, Gronk, like myself, huge Karen fan. 
He is just absolutely stunned at how you're on this call, along with everyone else in the world, but you're in Boston. So he does, and when I say it, it sounds like an Uncle Leo shout out. Hello, Karen. This <laughs> yeah. echoes in the Patriots press box still to this day. Yeah, he was semi-flabbergasted that I would like bust in on his Zoom call with Tampa Bay reporters. And uh, he couldn't quite figure out you know, that we could do that from afar. <laughs> so then when it dawned on him, hey, hello. It was pure Rob, pure Rob. Yeah, yeah. Tom also pleasantly surprised when he sees you on the Zooms as we saw uh, when he first went to Tampa. Um, and you have plenty of Tom and Gronk stories, but we're doing Vince Wilfork stories today because Vince Wilfork, as mentioned with Christian Fourier, being honored Saturday um, before he gets inducted into the Hall of Fame, then he'll get inducted. Sunday honored again at halftime at Patriots Ravens, which I find very fitting given for a, probably his best game was against Baltimore in the AFC Championship game. But we all know the stuff that happened on the field. You know stuff that happened off the field, talking draft parties. I got a little preview of the couple stories you have teed up, but let's dive it right into it. When I say Vince Wolfork story, the first one that comes to mind is what? Well, um, just a little background. Um, when I heard he had a draft night party, I was intrigued by that. But as you know, on draft night, you know, we're, all, we're busy like writing about the first round pick and whatnot. But I somehow managed to convince our then sports editor to let me go to his draft party. Cause I, I don't know, I thought it would be cool to hear how he responded and the rest of the Patriots teammates along with the whole bar bowling alley full of people waiting for this pick to come. So it was like a yearly tradition. I would go to Vince's draft party. And I think it was like one night, well, they were all good. But in 2013, I had been to several of them. Uh, and usually when the Patriots made their pick, I was out in the bar with the rest of the patrons. But on this particular night, I got invited into the back room where Vince was and every Patriot player who hung around till midnight or whenever it was, uh, they made the pick. And I, I'm pretty sure they were number 29 that year in 2013, okay? That sounds right. And so everyone, all right. So, you know, it's getting closer and closer and everyone you know Gerard Mayo was there all these Patriots are there just glued to the to this big screen in this back room and right before the pick or a couple picks before you know Vince gets up and you know starts talking to everybody and says oh they're not gonna make the pick like he was just throwing this a crack out like oh Bill will trade down or Bill will you know whatever and you know they were like booing him off the stage. You know, don't do that. So finally the pick comes and what do they do? They trade number 29 to Minnesota for four picks. So after that, honest to God, it was like Gerard Mayo led this big uh, parade of people out the door. Like they, they were just, but the only sound you heard aside from grumbling was Vince laughing hysterically. Like <laughs> this was like the funniest thing to him because, hey, I called it, <laughs> you know, I'm right. Meanwhile, everyone is like angrily leaving. Uh, you know, you stay there the whole night waiting for the pick and Bill does the usual. Trades out, 
So that was one. Obviously, you could go to uh, several in-game stories, which I'm sure uh, you have plenty of those, you know, his interceptions and, you know, him twinkle toes and, you know, being for big man. But there's two quick ones that I'll, that I'll bring up. One was his rookie year. And as you and I know, there's a, there's a particular day in training camp where uh, Bill has one of the rookies try and catch a punt so that they could have the next day off, even though we all know they were going to get the next day off, but the players didn't. And Bill chose Vince, all 350 pounds of him, to stand back and catch a punt, not just with his both of his hands, but as you know, he had two footballs in one hand. So he had to catch it with one hand for the guys to have the day off. So the punt comes and, you know, Vince is cradling two balls in his hand, big man with two balls in his hand. And he, he got down on a knee and somehow managed to pull in the other punt with one hand. The, the, the guys erupted, but in later talking to him, like we were all shocked that he was able to pull this off. And it was like on the first try. And so Vince told us uh, he was a punt returner in high school. <laughs> and again, looking at the man, that would freak your mind out. And, and, and it just doesn't make sense, except when you watch him, because he was the most athletic big man you'll find around. The other one I want to bring up actually didn't happen here. It happened in Houston. Mm. And I only know about it because I watched it on Hard Knocks. Uh, and, and it's, <laughs> and it's a, again, another example of him. Basically, he kept telling us he could play any position on the field. And they had, I guess, uh, U.S. soccer star Carly Lloyd was a visitor to the Texans uh, training camp practice and they arranged for her and Vince to have a field goal kickoff. And of course, the soccer player was drilling balls through the, through, through the uprights and then it came Vince's turn. And again, <laughs> betting people would probably say he's never gonna make a 40 yard field goal, right? Right. He, he made two <laughs> right through the uprights. So again, he was just, an amazing uh, athletic, physical big man. And, uh, and it, it was a joy to cover him. Yeah, I, we uh, are speaking to him this week. We're recording Thursday morning, the day before. He will have a quick kind of media jacket fitting, you know, all these layup, easy questions. What do you remember? Is he going to be back? Blah, blah, blah. I, I think Vince somehow in the passage of time here in New England, because you just have so many Super Bowls, so many great players. And he was in the window that, you know, Logan Mankins snuck in there, unfortunately for him, where Mankins was one of the best offensive linemen, best offensive players to come through New England, didn't win a Super Bowl. Okay, Vince got one at the beginning in 04 as a rookie when he starts just six out of 16 games the regular season. Then he got one in 14 his last year with the Patriots before they say, you know what, you can go to Houston. We'll, we'll cut you here too early before too late. He starts all 31 games for the Texans, who remember were uh, a – you know, a playoff team back then, 
Um, but he was incredibly durable. He was the best nose tackle Bill Belichick said he's ever coached. He was a playmaker with five forced fumbles. He had three alone in 2012. You're talking about pass deflections, 27. That's over, you know, 13 years. So you're talking two per year. Like there are DBs, you know, probably didn't hang in the league long enough, but don't have seasons. Like again, 2011, he had five. The next year, three forced fumbles. Two years after that, starting 16 games for a Super Bowl team. So is there anything I'm missing in painting this picture of Vince Wolfork? somehow Patriots Hall of Famer and yet underrated? He had three interceptions. <laughs> <laughs> Honest to God, he did. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I know. I'm looking at it, yeah. Three intercept. I mean, a nose tackle, and they were all legitimate. And, and again, he didn't just catch the ball and fall down. I mean, the man rumbled down the field and did his best to score. But it just... You know, like you said, nose tackles don't get attention. Unfortunately, he probably, even though he, I think he was a semifinalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, maybe even a finalist. Um, I think semifinalist. The work that Bill that Bill Belichick asked him to do, you don't really get credit for. Basically, the big guy in the middle, but he would take on double teams and free things up again for how the Patriots' defense works for the linebackers to make plays. And there was absolutely nobody better at it uh, than just basically either, you know, taking on the two guys or even pushing the pocket into the, into the quarterback. He, he was a beast in the middle and, you know, like many other former Patriots on those Super Bowl winning teams, I would love to see him get in the pro football hall of fame too. Yeah, I think that's going to be a difficult ask and not to end on a, a low note because we got to get to the Ravens. But I, it's it's hard to capture quantitatively the impact of a nose tackle, right? Like, I think we could do this better in this era where all the players are wearing GPS trackers and you can count the number, number of double teams, how long it takes to get them off blocks down to the hundredth of a second, all this kind of data. Obviously, Vince didn't have that. But even when you look at the raw stats that we've all just rattled off, I started 2012, mentioned 2011 I skipped the interception so again that game against the Ravens that Belichick is still talking about to this day that regular season I'm just going to rattle this off pick any position on the roster on defense let alone a nose tackle 16 games started 52 tackles three and a half sacks two picks a forced fumble five pass deflections a touchdown and 10 quarterback hits that dude is 330 pounds doing all that right and again it he um like you said try and find anyone with those kind of numbers even in playing a position that doesn't get numbers so to speak yeah linebacker inside outside yeah. safeties like the defensive ends to a degree even though it's just a three and a half sacks you're all taking that season if you're given that week one and say would you take these numbers? Yes, absolutely. The other part about that is that defense sucked. <laughs> that 2011 defense was starting yeah. Julian Edelman. So for all Vince did up front, it somehow still was not enough, granted, for a Super Bowl team. Uh, but to get them out of the bottom of the rankings that year when you look at points or DVOA or whatever it might be. But it was certainly by no means Vince's fault. Uh, not in the slightest. But again, in terms of, you know, it's great he's getting into the Patriots Hall. If you talk about a, you know, a singular player, and, and we made this argument for Richard Seymour, who finally got in, 
who didn't have all these, you know, mind blowing numbers or statistics, you know, for close to a decade, he was a dominant player in the middle of the a Patriots defense that won championships. And, you know, that one game, if you watched uh, against the Ravens or even several others, the man was a force in the middle of the Patriots line. And they've had a hard time trying to find anyone who can come close to what he did for so long. Also someone who played across the line. You know, sometimes it was, we're going to play against a star left tackle. Um, I want to say it might even been the Ravens game, but now the tackle's name escapes me. Um, this is way past Jonathan Ogden days, but you know, they'd put him at left end or right end and just trust that athleticism would carry over as much as you still have every bit of 330, 40, whatever it was pounds with him going down to a five technique that he could handle his business. Um, speaking of the Ravens, let's move on to them. The folks on the outside probably don't know that you and I alternate game plans for the Patriots in every Sunday edition of the Herald. They go up, obviously these stories online, what the offense should do, what the defense should do this week. You, I know you've been in the film, you've been in the notes and the stats, because this is, this is a tough game for the Patriots. I mentioned to Christian, they're three-point home underdogs. When you look at their game plan this week to beat Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, where do you start? Well, obviously, you have to do your best to try and contain the quarterback. And, you know, he's a legitimate dual threat. You know, he can run oh yeah. like crazy. He can, and I think his, the thing that's improved about him is, is how he throws the football and his accuracy. And, you know, he's an elite quarterback and, it, and it's tough. You try and keep him in the pocket and dare him to throw, but now he's making those throws. So, you know, he has, you know, he's always had uh, his tight end, um, Mark Andrews, and, I think he, he definitely leads the team in targets, I think with 18 mm -hmm. and catches with 14, you know, after two games. So that's obviously his go-to guy. And, you know, whether it's Kyle Duggar or Adrian Phillips, or even one of them with help, that's the guy you got to take away his, his favorite go-to option. So I would say Andrews, but they also have found a receiver who can bust the game open <laughs> and Rashad Bateman. And I actually think that might be the more key matchup. I mean, he's already taken uh, too long, two receptions to the house. One was a 75 yarder last week. Um, so I am looking at, you know, the Patriots haven't played a ton of man, but even wh whatever coverage they have, my guess is, and again, if I, if I were to zero in on a matchup, that's John Jones guy. So basically it's, you know, preventing this guy from beating you or taking, taking it to the house. Yeah. I think Bateman's a really important name here because, you know, Belichick starts Wednesday mentioning Mark Andrews. If you've been paying attention or just playing fantasy football, you, you know who Mark Andrews is. And I think the way the Patriots structurally play defense you know, or have the last few years and certainly did the past two weeks, it's a lot of single high safety. And Devin McCourty naturally is going to, yeah, follow the quarterback's eyes, but he's going to be leaning towards whatever target the Patriots want to eliminate. Last week, a couple double teams to chase Claypool in the slot when he's faced up against Miles Bryant. The week before, a lot of Tyree Kill. Mark Andrews, you would think, 
would be that name this week. But if that single safety who's up deep is leaning towards Mark Andrews, who let's just say runs a deep over route, that leaves all the space as he kind of carries McCourty with his gravity for a post or a go from Rashad Bateman against Jalen Mills, who didn't look very good in Pittsburgh, okay? And had a really good camp, played decent in Miami. Opposite him, obviously, we're talking John Jones, who's going to give up a few inches, or Jack Jones, who's been rotating in with these corners. So that matchup, understanding the Ravens know Belichick is going to focus a lot of attention on Andrews. Maybe we can make that work against them. Puts a lot of stress, presumably, maybe I'm wrong, maybe they double Bateman to say that matchup and man, particularly on third downs, is going to be really important for the Patriots to keep a lid on Bateman uh, like they did the last time the Ravens were here and force them to make long drives. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. And, you know, will it be Mills? Will it be John Jones, Jack Jones? Uh, from a speed standpoint, uh, John Jones is the one who matches up. Mm-hmm. Doesn't match up from a height perspective. He, I think he gives like two inches uh, to Bateman. But if you want to try, again, the one he took the, to the house against Miami last week was like a slant. And he just caught it and ran for days. Uh, so, and Xavier Howard was on him. So you need somebody who's going to be able to keep up with his speed. You know, you might not be able to stop the pass, but you better stop him from getting in the end zone for a 75 yard touchdown. You know, those are the game breaking. Those are the game breaking plays, not the 10 yard outs to, to Mark Andrews. Right. Right. Um, Speaking with speed, I'm going to flip to the offensive side. I'm looking at Marcus Peters because he was the guy a couple times gave up these long games to Tyree Kills. We all know Dolphins made this remarkable comeback in the fourth quarter, just pouring points and points and points on. And I think the Ravens, to some degree, will recognize the error of their ways going, singling up Tyree Kill with a single safety deep and sometimes even blitzing, not the best strategy when protecting a lead. And I don't think they'll be down, you know, or let's say ahead, uh, 21 points in New England. And the Patriots don't have a Tyree kill, but Marcus Peters has always been a gambler at corner. And so that's a guy where I think the Patriots might want to take advantage of with, you know, some double moves and a player like Nelson Aguilar, who we saw get a big touchdown last week. And I think feeds into the, we're going to take some shots. We're going to go with these 50, 50 balls that if we can't get separation, we'll help. We might as well teach our guys or coach them up how to win at the catch point. Cause they're just going to be fighting for possession anyway. And that's the guy more than Marlon Humphrey, though the Ravens' pass defense has not been good now for almost a full season, that they will probably go after, if not, over the middle. Yeah, I, we'll have to see who – I mean, they're, they're banged up in the secondary, yeah. you know, particularly at corner. But, you know, I agree with you. And let, let's face it, the Patriots don't have receivers that are, that are going to scare teams or that they're going to, you know, double or, or whatever or – you know, are going to beat man coverage. So they're going to have to scheme these guys open. And if Peters is a gambler, yeah, have Nelson Aguilar, who we've seen can make these, you know, great contested catches um, and come away with a ball. Uh, sure, I would, I would take those type of chances. Um, you know, again, I'm not a huge fan of the 50, just chucking up 50, 50 <laughs> balls all over the field, but there are some instances where, you know, particularly when you don't separate, you're going to have to take those chances. And, the, and obviously we've seen the Patriots do that in the first two games, one time with success, 
a couple other times, uh, not so much. Yeah. All right. I'm going to wrap up with one key. We've run down some matchups. Andrews, Bateman, Peters for uh, Baltimore talked about um, some of this with, with Christian Fourier. For me on offense, too, the other part about this is I think you need to get these Ravens in space. You know, Humphrey, who I mentioned, he didn't practice on Wednesday. We'll see what today brings again, recording here on a Thursday. But whether it's him, some of their linebackers like Patrick Queen, um, some of their safeties, Kyle Hamilton's a rookie, gave up one of those touchdowns, as I mentioned, to Miami. They have the third most missed tackle so far in the NFL behind just the Texans and the Broncos. And I think you look at a guy like Ramondre Stevenson, get the ball to him in space. I mean, these could be screens. This could be, you know, uh, slants if you have him out wide. We haven't seen a ton of empty from the Patriots just yet, like they used to do all the time with James White. Because the Ravens are also right now third worst in the league, according to DVOA, at defending running backs. So he sounds like the perfect guy made in the lab to exploit this Ravens defense. But I think generally also, it just comes back to the idea of getting the ball in the hands of your playmakers. Patriots don't have a ton. I would start there with him. Yeah, I agree. And I'm going to throw one more name at you, Kendrick Mm -hmm. Bourne. Yeah, yeah. And I would even start him in the backfield. Mm -hmm. You know, (laughs) Uh, being a little more creative than we've seen because they've been pretty basic and vanilla with their offense. Um, but, you know, Kendrick Bourne and Ramondre Stevenson, they would qualify as playmakers if you get the ball in their hands. And whether you start uh, Bourne in the backfield and have him come out for a quick pass so that, that he, you know, he can use his legs and do some damage, you know, I would do that as well. And it's a new wrinkle because, you know, it's stuff you haven't seen. The Patriots have basically, you know, they, they improved from the first week to the second week in terms of, you know, things they added to the offense. But they're still pretty vanilla, I would say. You have to keep expanding, you know, your playbook when you, you know, depending on the opponent. So, yeah, Ramondre Stevenson, for sure you know, utilize him coming out of the backfield. But I would like them uh, to do more with Kendrick Bourne as well. You know, whether they're feeding him crossers, slants, or starting him in the backfield in a more of a Debo Samuel-like role. Yeah. All right. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense. We'll get you out on this. The extra point. We got our three matchups, two keys, down to one extra point. Something about the game we haven't covered do you think is relevant? Or you just want to throw throw out there? Um, I don't know. These the games against the Ravens always tend to be good ones, <laughs> physical ones. Uh, John Harbaugh, I think, is a very good coach, and he's had some interesting battles uh, with Bill Belichick. But the the thing again, I think most of New England would like to see is you know, an improved offense, you know, doing more, having Mac Jones more comfortable, because as you pointed out uh, very succinctly in today's Herald, you listed three reasons why he hasn't looked like Mac Jones. I would like to have him look more like Mac Jones uh, in this game to give them a chance. And quickly on the flip side, you know, the defense has been very good. Patriots defense, the first two games, uh, if you take away the, the fumble sack score, you know, they're averaging giving up just 13 points a game. But it's one thing to defend Mitch Trubisky. It's another to 
uh, defend Lamar Jackson. So I think this is going to be uh, kind of a, a, a litmus test game. You know, is the defense for real or not? So I'll have my, you know, obviously wanting to see Mac Jones improve, but also trying to see is his defense real or a mirage? I like it. Um, my extra point speed. I think on both sides of the ball, this is what it comes down to. The Patriots did a great job in their last meeting with Lamar 2020 playing, you know, what was kind of a three, three front. And then they brought their safeties down on either side of that. So it looked like they kind of loaded the box, but the players loading the box were Kyle Duggar and Adrian Phillips. And that helped them contain Lamar Jackson. A lot of these read runs that are designed to get him into the outside or just into space. And for the Patriots, you know, if you want to be a defense that is the worst deep ball pass defense in the league, go downfield. It's time to shine for someone like Nelson Aguilar, even John Smith, you know, if we can get some separation against man coverage, because these are the teams you need to exploit. You know, the ones are going to bring pressure and speed kills. So whether you're defending it and corralling it, Patriots have tackled very well so far, or you're trying to apply that pressure with your own speed. I bet they would love to have Tyquan Thornton for this game. I think that's what it comes down to who applies best and protects best against speed so that's it all right well i will now race you to gillette we're gonna go see uh the guys in the locker room write some more stories karen i appreciate you coming back on the podcast always great to have you hey thanks for having me andrew